Deflationary money becoming a deflationary economy. We've got it all today. We've got banks, we've got bankers, we've got curves, we've got SOFR, we've got a little bit of everything, including economic data here and around the rest of the world. All of it showing the fallout coming from the deflationary money outbreak that we're currently experiencing and that is now taking down more U.S. regional banks. The latest, of course, is PacWest. And it's easy it's easy to get uh, caught up in the ebbs and flows, the back and forth of the crisis and think that every time something happens, it's the end of the world. And then when something doesn't happen immediately after, everything is fine because that's what you're going to hear. Something happens and they'll say, that's it. That's the worst part. And then you get into the ebb and flow, the back and forth. And then they'll say, everything is fine until the next thing happens. And this can happen over period of weeks, months, as well as in the short run. I'll give you an example. There was an analyst at Morgan Stanley yesterday opining about PacWest in particular, and he said this, we believe this recent stock reaction is overdone as there is currently no evidence of accelerating deposit outflows. We see accelerating deposit costs, yeah, right, not accelerating deposit outflows as the most significant headwind for the mid-cap banks over the next several quarters. And what happened today? PacWest discloses accelerating deposit outflows. It is, its stock is down more than 30% again. And everybody's talking about renewed banking crisis, including Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, who happens to be the head of the bank that is right now one of the biggest beneficiaries of this deposit acceleration flight run, whatever you want to call it. And of course, JP, Jamie Dimon is also heavily invested in picking up as much scraps as he possibly can. So he has become sort of the unofficial spokesman, at least outside of the government Federal Reserve complex. In uh, Among Wall Street bankers, he's the one that's going to go on TV and tell you everything is absolutely fine. And if everything is not fine... He's going to do just what I said he was going to do or just what I said was going to happen in response to an accelerating banking crisis. Eventually, it's going to go far enough. They're going to have to blame something. They're going to say the banks are fine, except you can see bank stocks are falling because of those evil speculators. So earlier this morning on Bloomberg, Jamie Dimon discusses how he says, quote, the SEC has the enforcement capability to look at what people are doing by name in options, derivatives, short sales. If someone's doing anything wrong, people are in collusion or people going short and then making a tweet about a bank, they should go after them and vigorously and they should be punished to the full extent that the, that the law allows it. And I love how the Wall Street Journal finished up this quote. Mr. Diamond noted, he has no evidence of wrongdoing, but said, it's possible it's taking place? Yeah, right. Just like it was possible to blame naked short selling in 2008 for the banking crisis that today, hardly anyone remembers the naked short selling because it was a legitimate banking crisis. It just wasn't the crisis everyone thought it was, including the Federal Reserve. So how do we make sense of all this? How do we know if the crisis is over? Because at some point it will be over. 
This is what is so important about watching the marketplace. Not in a short run basis, back and forth day to day, but what are the curves telling us in general terms? What are the curves telling us one among another? Is there corroboration and consensus that we can rely on to then build upon some analysis, some rational analysis, and some plausible theories about how things are going to play out? Rather than, rather than just listening to the Jamie Dimons of the world who has his own agenda, or the government, which is completely, utterly, hopelessly incompetent and is going to tell you everything is fine right up until the entire system does what it did in 2008. Again, we're not talking about a 2008 repeat, but we keep seeing everything for the 2008-style scenario. Deflationary money and deflationary economy. Let's get into all of that in just a minute, but first... I got to do my thing here. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Memberships, you know about them. We've got them available. Exclusive video, background content on the monetary system, how it works, how it really works, not what they tell you in te textbooks or try to tell you through Jamie Dimon's mouth. Research subscriptions, daily briefing at marketsinsiderpro.com. There's a bundle there as well as the daily deep dive analysis where every day, we're going to dive deep into these topics to see if we can make sense of them from a rational standpoint that is uncolored by mainstream incompetence, agenda bias, whatever you want to call it. All the information, eurodollar.university. So again, as I said, where we start out, I mean, even the curves on a short run basis, they go into these ebbs and flows. Sulfur futures, a perfect example, longer dated sulfur futures. They get bid way up during as the crisis accelerates, as First Republic fails, or PacWest comes in the news, or before it was Credit Suisse, anything like that. You see huge demand for hedging, which is already a warning sign. And then that hedging just goes away. The urgency disappears. The problem doesn't, but the, the level of urgency to hedge for it ebbs and flows as we go through these media cycles and news flow. And so even in something like SOFR futures, which over the, the intermediate and longer period is incredibly useful, incredibly helpful. You can get caught up and swept up into the big moves up and then the big moves down. Yes, it's the world is gonna end and then the next day everything is fine. When you take take the step back or maybe two steps back and look at where the curves are going and you could tell despite the short run fluctuations, what general direction are we moving in? And according to the marketplace, the general direction that we're moving in is the same one that had, it has been moving in sort of accelerated fashion going back to last September and October. Really, October, November into December, we saw the curves collapse and versions really go crazy. And as I sit right here talking to you now, just before I started talking to you, I checked the SOFR futures, three-month term SOFR futures, and the spreads are even more ridiculous than they have been. So short-run fluctuations daily back and, back and forth, over time, we're seeing the inversions continue to deepen. Uh, right now, the June to December spread, so this is this year, June to December is minus 86 basis points. That's the second worst we've seen apart from last Thursday, May 4th, which was 93 basis points. That was in the aftermath of the flash crash, remember, in WTI? Back and forth, back and forth. But over time, you see the curve getting more and more inverted. Maybe the best example of that is the June to June spread. So 23 to 24, June 23 to June 24 is now inverted 186 basis points. An enormous negative spread. 
And even though that's exactly 100 basis points more than the June to December spread, this is not the market saying that there'll be four additional rate cuts, four additional 25 basis point rate cuts in the first half of next year. What all of these spreads are telling you is that we still don't know exactly when rates are gonna start going lower, but we're almost certain they're going to start going lower very soon. And once they do start going lower, they're going to go a lot lower. So that by the time we go forward one year from now, May of 2024, and we look back on things, we'll understand easily why rates are substantially less one year from now than they are today. And by substantially less, I don't mean by necessarily exactly a couple points or a couple percentage points, because remember, we don't take these contracts literally. These are not a prediction about where three-month term SOFR is gonna be a year from now. It's a probability distribution. Think of it sort of like a median. And even that's, I mean, but still, something like a median. So if we look at the, the 186 basis points of inversion, what that says is there's a range of possibilities. And almost none of those possibilities are rates about where they are today. They all start from a lot lower interest rates and then get a lot less from there. So if we're looking and mapping out for looking for and mapping out scenarios, they start with some rate cuts and go to a lot of rate cuts. And 186 basis points inverted, there's a high degree of chance there, a non-trivial chance that we're talking about zero interest rates a year from now. And so again, what has to happen in order to get us to that position? In, in, in the future. And what would we see right now that would be different that gets us to that point? And I think that's ultimately the point here that markets as well as all the events unfolding around us are trying to make. Nothing would be different. Everything that's happened so far, including Jamie Dimon screaming about short sellers, is exactly what markets have been saying. Deflationary money and all the symptoms that come with it, including difficulties in the banking system, it's not about rate hikes and the eventually deflationary economy. If this was about rate hikes and the banks would be fine because rates are about to go lower. We see this in the US Treasury curve, bad steepening, bad steepening that showed up really last week in the wake of First Republic. So it looks like First Republic was one bank failure too many, one swap warning too many as I talked about yesterday, one too many times to the hedging urgency well in SOFR futures and other to parts of the monetary system too. Just looking at the way the curve has shifted just in the month of May, which is really, I mean, First Republic failed that weekend. May 1st was the first day in the aftermath. The two-year rate is down about 16 basis points since the beginning of May, so really since First Republic. It's at 386, which is a low level, below four again. So the twos are down 16, the five years down 20, but the 10 years only down four, and the 30 years actually up 14. So that's the bad steepening where the front end of the curve goes down faster than the long end of the curve and the middle starts to become the pivot point or the trough in the inversion and it then steepens, the curve steepens out back from there. We see this in Germany too. This is not about US banks. It's about global deflationary problems. German curve, same thing. In the month of May, First Republic has nothing to do with Germany, but it has it is as a symptom of a, a global monetary issue German two-year, despite another rate hike from the ECB, and these rates are just ridiculous compared to where the ECB rates are, 
This month, German two-year down 17 basis points. This is a 251. Right now, the MRO is 375. That's the main, the midpoint, the AC, ECB's main uh, target rate. The deposit rate is 325. And here we have the German two-year at 251 and falling. So down 17 basis points in May. The five years down 15 basis points in May. The 10 years down nine basis points in May. And the 30 years up two basis points. So again, the bad steepening the front end, leveling out in the middle and then steepening out from the back end. Now this does not mean that rates in the long end are gonna go higher from here. What this means is that eventually, as we get into the scenarios that SOFR futures are projecting, the entire curve is going to go down. So the 30-year rate that's up this month, it's going to go down. The yield is going to go down. Prices are going to go up all over the curve. They're just going to go up. Prices are going to go up much faster at the short end and in the middle, and then eventually just the short end, whereas yields are going to go down much faster at the short end, somewhat in the middle, and the long end will lag a little bit because the long end doesn't necessarily want to get to zero. Though if we continue to see the curves behave like this and we continue to get data like we're getting, that's not out of the question either. But we're not just we're not there just yet. How about the deflationary economy? Well, so far as I mentioned yesterday, consumer prices in the US as well as Europe, which are much consumer prices are much higher, we don't see much of the deflationary economy in consumer prices. Although, as I did say yesterday and point out, in services prices, we're kind of getting there. So even the consumer price index data is moving in the direction of a deflationary economy. The big one though is producer prices and not in the US, but over in China. Uh, factory gate prices, 3.8% um, year over year. That's a negative 3.8%, which is the worst since the middle of 2020, down seven tenths of a percent just in April alone. So an accelerated drop in factory gate prices, which is the prices of materials going into factories. That's commodities. We just, another one today, copper is down big, under 370 per pound for the first time since last November. So copper's commodity, iron, I've talked about steel. Those are heading lower along with crude oil. All of it screaming deflation. So we've got deflation going into China's factories. We know China's factories don't have enough demand. There's overcapacity there. So the prices leaving, prices of goods leaving China's factories, the PPI, those were down half a percent also in April. Reopening is now a distant memory. It's all about global recession, global, recession, global trade recession from China. The PPI, which is amongst the best cyclical global, global cyclical indicators that are out there in terms of macro data, minus 3.6% year over year, which is the, the worst since May of 2020. And as you can see, when China's PPI and factory gate prices are falling on an annual basis, usually the economy, some parts of the global economy are experiencing severe economic problems. And usually it's not some parts, it's every part. And as every part experiences problems, it's, it's only a matter of who's experiencing it worse and who is not experiencing it as worse. So we have global trade cycle, global recession, all the global money, deflationary commodities, deflationary producer prices, overcapacity. It's all there, except for one last thing. As I said, deflationary money, 
is the interruption in the natural or necessary flow of money and currency through the economy. It's not rate hikes. And instead, you get, when you have an interruption in the flow of money and credit, it makes in the, in the economic, just minimal economic activity, that much more difficult and costly to carry out, which then leads to all these consequences that be, can become, if they get to be serious enough, a deflationary economy. And a deflationary economy doesn't necessarily mean falling prices, although we are talking about some in terms of China's PPI, in terms of some other places too, but more so, as John Maynard Keynes had pointed out 100 years ago, deflationary economy, that's about employment and workers. In other words, falling employment, rising unemployment. So one last statistic on this wild and crazy further crisis day U.S. jobless claims may have finally broken. We've been talking about jobless claims. We've been talking about the seasonal adjustments in job, jobless claims. But today, the, the Department of Labor reported initial claims jumped to 264,000, which is a new high. It's actually the highest since October 2021. And though it's still low in historical comparison, you can see the trend here. The jobless claims rose gently in the early part of this year as some tech layoffs began to hit the news and some laid off tech workers began to hit the jobless, the, the unemployment rolls. Now we're starting to see more and more of, the, more of those happen. This may be just a one week fluctuation, but given everything that we're talking about here, what are the chances that this is a, an anomaly? Because that's what they're going to tell you. That's what Jamie Dimon is basically telling you that the banking system is being hit by short sellers betting on a bunch of outliers and anomalies. But these outliers and anomalies continue to proliferate one after another after another, which is why we need the markets. We need the curves as something to depend upon to give us a real solid sense, or, or at least a, a real st solid starting point to begin piecing together what must actually be happening. Depend upon the curves, look to them, for guidance. Unfortunately, what they're telling us isn't anything good, but it's better to be prepared than to be Jay Powell. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, MarketsInsiderPro.com subscribers, and of course, all you Eurodollar University members. Again, my sincere thank you. Until next time, take care.